welcome to Two Minutes About Time, the podcast that takes a look at the Richard Curtis film About Time, two minutes at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Luke Allen, and I'm joined as always with my co-host, Robert E.G. Black. Hello. And with our special guest, Niall. Uh, so could you introduce yourself to our listeners? I mean, I'll go over it again, because you guys don't remember this, but I've, on, I've been on the show like six times already. But uh, okay, one more time. I'm Niall McGowan from... Bat Minutes, which is a podcast, which is a bit like this one, only we go through the Batman films uh, from 1989 through and including 1997 and possibly beyond, uh, one one minute at a time rather than two minutes at a time. So, yeah, I'm very very happy to be here. Thanks for having me on, guys. And of course, we'll remind the listeners that your uh, your your previous episodes will be in the future. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just figured we did this episode multiple times because it didn't go well. Mm, that's oh, what that yeah. meant. Uh, oh man, I do oh, remember. Right. Like, there are multiple layers to this joke. Do we have to apologize for something that he's erased by time travel? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think the uh, racist jokes. Uh, you know, <laughs> 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 I think you know it's a time that's passed. Yeah, it's, I thought. I thought in my original future, racist jokes were perfectly okay. But apparently now, I don't know what what I did when I went back in the past, but. That gosh darn butterfly effect. You can never tell what way it's going to go. I mean, in all <laughs> fairness, we didn't know it was going to start World War Three. No, no. No. The thing after, after you know, the pandemic, people were just happy for something new. They were just like, oh, yeah, we've been seeing that in the news so often. Maybe a good old-fashioned war would get, you know, lift some people's spirits. And yeah, yeah, it did really help build up the listenership, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> as, as I was saying to Robert, like, last week like i feel like the number of jokes that this show will end up having towards the end of its run will just make it completely ununderstandable <laughs> yes <laughs> it's just like yeah two two minutes like, it's, it's just i think I've, I've seen uh like uh headlines by the onion or something saying like oh podcast entering 50th episode just now entirely made of in jokes and stuff so it's like <laughs> yeah that's, that's pretty much the way they go but I always remember there was a YouTube talk show. I love the fact we got the tangents before we even started the minute. <laughs> there was a YouTube talk show that I used to like called Serial Time, and like, uh, to the they had all these like fake characters that they started referencing that then became like a recurring joke. <laughs> and it got to like the end of like the end of its run. It's like, oh, today's episode we're celebrating Mrs. Radishhead's birthday. <laughs> You're completely like unapproachable to any outside viewers. <laughs> such a good show actually i don't know what happened to that um should should come back maybe it already has come back who knows anyway mm. uh we're here to talk about about time it's about time actually... we got to it jeez oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> although i don't think i've actually asked all the guests directly this question i think it's come up each time so what was your first experience with this film oh well the thing is like i I, when you guys invited me on, uh, like I went and looked into about time because I've never really just like gone online to check out what people were saying about and stuff. And I was actually shocked to see like you know the critical reviews. If you go to like oh Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes and whatnot, they're like fifty five percent, sixty five percent. And I was shocked by that because I'm part of that generation that just like every single person my age who grew up in this geographical area of like Ireland and obviously the England surrounding area your life has been a, a, essentially sort of it's been in some way influenced by richard curtis and m mm -hmm. in most cases it has been improved by him because if this guy didn't get you through like black adder he would have got you through mr bean or not the nine o'clock news or vicar, vicar dibley. dibley 
And then, like, hang on, have, have we uh, finally got a guest on who knows what Vicar of Dibley is? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. This is a groundbreaking moment. I've been talking about it <laughs> since episode one, and no one knows what the heck I'm on about. This is brilliant. That's, yeah, but that's the thing. It's like I, I grew up late '80s, early, and, and throughout the '90s, and it's just like, oh, this guy was just like the biggest thing. Like I know, uh, I'm not too sure how, how big it was in America, Robert, and obviously before you were born, Luke. But like, four weddings and a funeral was just yeah. like the biggest thing that ever happened to British cinema. Like up until like train spotting the next year, but like at that point it was just like you you'd have thought England had never made a film before. It was so <laughs> friggin' yeah. huge. And like um, from what I've read and heard, like it was expected to make nothing in the states. Like it was going to be a complete flop. And actually, in all fairness, Four Weddings didn't work for me. Like the first how many times I watched it, I watched it again yesterday, and it just clicked. I don't know what it was. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'd appreciated it, and I found bits funny, but I probably wouldn't have watched it if I hadn't been a fan of Richard Curtis anyway. So as I've currently been using quarantine to watch Richard Curtis films, because they kind of just feel like a warm hug. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Just, yeah, for sure. There's that sort sure. of comfort um, from Richard Curtis that, So that was my surprise then, because I remember about time, like, the build-up to the coming out and everything, where, like, just in the UK, everyone's like, Richard Curtis has made a new film, because it's going to be friggin', this is going to be huge! Like, everybody loves all his stuff. Like, even things that I, like, like I really do not like Love Actually at all as a film. Like, I just think it's a terrible dumpster fire of a film. But I know it's it's beloved. Like, over here, like, it's it's everyone's favorite Christmas movie is now Love Actually and things like that. So I was stunned to see it, like, rated so lowly. Like, about time rated so lowly, like, as it's, you know, as it stands at the minute. Because I remember this coming out, and I remember everybody seemed to love it at the time. And I've known friends, friends of mine, I've, like, I'll, I've mentioned, I've joked about About Time to them, and they've gotten angry with me for, like, making fun of the movie and, and stuff. So, <laughs> I think, like, well, as much as I do enjoy it as a film, it's like, I think it, you'll obviously be getting to it, but the mechanics of how things are working at the end, where, essentially, Donald Gleason is kind of killing his father by conceiving a new child. And I was making jokes like, wouldn't every like pelvic thrust conceive that child feel like another knife in your dad's back? And, stuff? <laughs> and like, you the whole time you're you're trying to have sex with your wife, and all you're thinking is about, I am killing my father by doing this. I am actively, I'm never going to see him again because I'm. <laughs> but that's, that's like I mentioned that to one of my my friend Gemma, and she was like, "How dare you? How dare you insult about time?" I was like, "That's just. A, would you not think about that though? About where, if you were in that situation?" She's like, "It's a beautiful film. You just leave this movie alone." <laughs> it's like. All right, okay. So, for what I know, like locally around like the the UK area, I thought this film was above reproach. So uh, I, I thought well, everybody adored it. So I was quite shocked to see it like getting sort of ish reviews online and whatnot. Even that take sounds like a cynical, like horrible thing to say at first <laughs> blush. But if you think about it, that also makes it more almost like his tragic, romantic size sort of thing because. Yeah, he by deciding to go ahead and have that child, it is a big deal. Yeah. So <laughs> if those little moments make it feel worse, that doesn't necessarily make the whole situation worse. It makes it no. more interesting. Just one thing which I've been thinking about recently uh, with this whole thing and with his relationship with his dad and that whole thing. I've kind of wondered, like, when Tim is, like, old and, like, dying or whatever... Do you think he'll go back in time, like, once more, nothing to lose to go back and see his dad? Yeah. It depends how much he likes his grandkids. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he goes back, ruins life for everyone else. <laughs> just, well, they won't just know. Before. 
Nah. <laughs> they just stopped. I imagine them. them like, they've anytime. always been in the darkest timeline. I just imagine, though, any like argument he gets in with that kid, though, is just going to be like, I killed my dad for you, you little shit. Like, why don't you realize what I've done? <laughs> yeah, I can erase you at any time, child. <laughs> <laughs> that is, like, he's quite literally got, like, I made you, and I can destroy you just as quickly. <laughs> Maybe it's even like faster. One, yeah, once that kid knows about time travel, that is a valid threat. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I, w- I wonder why it's 21 as well, that they, like, can they not do it before they turn 21? Or is it just that they think they're mature enough to deal with? Oh, that's a good, that's a good question, actually. It is a, I'm sure maybe you look into, like, astrological signs and whatnot. You could trace it back to some potential, oh, this is the, you know, the time when the, the your your aura is in the most orbit of whatever. There probably could be some sort of supernatural... The only thing I can think with 21 in the UK is that that was, you know, traditionally when you got the front door key. Mm. Which I mean, I'd fight. I I can't imagine not getting the front door key till you're 21. <laughs> I suppose that it, it can't. Like I I never had that rule, thankfully. But like, I can yeah. imagine it just being a thing. It's like, well, you got those. That's three years, and when you're legally allowed to drink. But I guess your parents can still keep an eye on you because it's just like, well, it's, you can go out, but you have to come back and some. Yeah, but it's state. also five years older than when you're legally allowed to leave home. Oh yeah, yeah. Be like going I, into, like, I researched my rights on my 16th birthday. I was like, what can I do when I'm 16? And it's, <laughs> it's, it's very odd. The rules in Britain are all over the place. <laughs> Some laws, really. Just imagine going into a Lettons agent, though, and just like, I've, I've rented this. You know, you, yes, of course you can rent this property, but like, what age are you? 16? Oh, no. We can't give you the key, though. It's like, you can come <laughs> back in like, four, like five years' time, then we can give you the keys to the flat you rented, but you can't have the front door to the key. Right? You'll have to just keep going through the window for the next couple of years. <laughs> So, 11 minutes in is probably a good time to start talking about Minute 21. Oh, yeah, um, man. The opening line to our minute is etc. Mm. Uh, <laughs> which comes from Rory. Uh, and then we've got this guy who just, who the hell are you? Tim Lake. Well, I hope you're better than this clown. Come on, Roger. I love the Roger-Rory <laughs> gag, because it's such a... You, you don't expect it to get the payoff it does later on. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the thing with Rory to me though, it's just that uh, again I you know can't emphasize like how much like oh Richard Curtis big big influence on you know kind of just my life in general because you just couldn't get away from the guy, but like I do find a lot of his film work could be get very cutesy, and Rory's a bit too cutesy for me just just the way the guy plays him and just the whole I don't know just something about because he's just got the real sort of oh the quirky best friend kind of you know he he feels more like a trope to me than. Mm. Yeah, my reading of this film is as well that it's Tim telling us as a friend the story. Like, he's the unreliable narrator. And so this is less how Rory is and more how Tim sees Rory in hindsight. Yeah, that's a fair way of looking at it. Because, um, you know, the later... Well, one of the things is, like, it probably is just because, like, I'm just, a, you know, a, a jaded 30-something nowadays. <laughs> where, like, uh, some of the... Not, not not a critique of the movie, but like, there's a lot of pretty much kind of like a, like a fairy tale kind of element to it a lot oh, of yeah. time. Yeah, and, and because it's set in like modern day London for the most part, and I've been to modern day London, and I know people who have become lawyers, and I know how much hard work goes into like just trying to pay rent and keep up with just the hustle and bustle of life. I know people who've moved to London, and all they want to do is get out of London because they hate it and stuff. 
where it's just put yeah. like, everything that happens with Tim is just like, oh, it's, he just sort of, yeah, he was raised in the country, just moved to London, became a lawyer somehow. So, and, that, yeah, that's why I, my, my idea of it sort of, it clears up that and it also covers up ev- any plot hole or loophole in the film yeah, as well. Yeah. Like, it's a, I could, you could probably use that excuse for most films, to be honest, but the fact that he narrates it makes me think that it, it is a possibility that this is a valid. This could be, but like, you can look at him telling, it's almost like a how I met your, how I met your mother and how I killed your father. If it was yes. like him talking about him talking to the kid that's conceived by the end of this movie, just saying like, yeah, this is this is how you came to be. Like, and this well, is my story. Like, on his twenty first birthday, is him going like, well, this is how I find out about all this, and this is a shortened version of the the whole legacy of how I got to where I am today and whatnot. I, I think I might use, use that as the title for this episode, How I Met Your Mother and How I Killed Your Father. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or Grandfather, I guess. Oh, yeah. Oh, actually, yeah, yeah that, that is true. But uh, yeah. I think actually one of the big giveaways to me, like, as as I was watching, I've been kind of like, well, you know, this this is a very cutesy, very sort of unrealistic, you know, take on, like, oh, he just, he, oh, it just falls ass backward into living with his dad's friend, who's a playwright, who somehow lives in this huge house in London. And I'm like, Where, where's the money coming from? And all this sort of thing. Is that when you see the poster of Amelie on the wall? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's in. I don't know, is it Tim's room or Kick? It's in Tim's room. room but, it's Tim's room. But uh, it just reminded me of like way years and years ago, Jean Pierre Junet. I saw him been interviewed, and they were saying to him like, "Oh, you realize like tourism in Paris has gone up even more because of Amelie. People think it's like this wonderful magical city now because in Amelie it's presented." As if this is, it's this beautiful, beautiful place that everyone, oh, so wonderful and whimsical and all this. And Jean-Pierre <laughs> Jeunet was just... <laughs> but like Jean-Pierre Jeunet was just like, yeah, but Paris is, is a shithole. Like, it's an, it's an absolute <laughs> cesspool. It's encrusted with filth. Like, I was making a fairy tale. That is not an accurate representation of what Paris is actually like. It's a fairy tale movie. And so by then seeing, you know, Amelie pop up on the, in this movie. Which then... Donald suggested himself. Donald Leeson. Requested oh. the Amelie poster. Oh, there you go. Um, but yeah, so yeah, that got me in the right mindset of like, oh no, this is it's a fairy story. Like that's yeah. what that's 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 what they're going for. Mm. You're not supposed to question. And actually, one of the things in the lead up to coming on this, I was actually talking to Dave Palace, of course, of Five Minutes of Mystery fame and uh, you know the Groundhog Minute and whatnot. And I just mentioned to him like, oh, I'm recording episodes of about time, and uh, like a couple of days time. And he's like, I've never seen it, but I saw the trailer and it infuriated me. And I was like, oh, why? And he's like, it's just because like, I, I bet you they just ignore the mechanics of time travel the whole way through. I bet you they don't even try to explain it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that is not the attitude to go into about time uh, with. Like, no, hoping note to self, we need to get Dave on. Yes. <laughs> 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 but yeah, as you said with London, yeah, this, I mean, this film does seem a bit fairy tale with London. Um, especially the sequence when they're going up the travelator or escalator or whatever in, in the uh, tube station. Hmm. And it's only them two. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's even like later this week when it's just like they're out and like they're presumably out on a at like a a weekend night, like a Friday or Saturday night. And to be fair, maybe it's because it goes a little back alley or something. Though, but like I've been to London, and mm. it's just like nobody wants you there because there's just too many people there already. Like it's just <laughs> like it's just I so it's so hustle and bustle. It's a nightmare. Whenever I'm in London, I have a game of saying like good evening or good morning to as many people as I can and seeing how many will respond. Um, <laughs> I've, I've done, must have been between like 30 and 50 people now. Complete zero. <laughs> no one. I've, I, I have people walking over to the other side of the street, people yeah. looking at me weird, people ignoring me, 
it's it's a really fun game to play for anyone who's ever in London. And weirdly, <laughs> shortly after I started playing that game, I saw a sketch on like some British show where they talked about someone going around and saying hello to people in London and how weird it was. And <laughs> it felt like they kind of stole my idea to be honest. They can't have done because there's no way they could have got it. <laughs> but but yeah, it's what every time I'm in London I try and play that game. Oh. So it's good fun. Uh, one of the time I was in London, I started because uh, I'm not in there that often, so I'm not really worried about a reputation. So I have walked the streets of London doing the Ministry of Silly Walks just to see if anyone looks at me. <laughs> no one cares. Uh, oh, that's the thing, yeah, because it's just like, oh, you can do whatever crazy crap you want to in the streets of a major metropolitan city because everyone will be like, oh, there's some crazy person. Oh, when and I was just go in, on about uh, their day. <laughs> when I was in Paris and Disneyland, which is actually the only time I've ever left the UK. I was there, and we were there for like a couple of days. And I think on the last night, I literally just in the middle of the park just screamed because I was like, "Heck, no one knows me here. Like, <laughs> I might as well." Um. So yeah. Anyway, to go further into the minute, uh, we've got yeah. So Roger corrects. It's Rory actually. Been here for a year and a half. Just saying that to be nice. Two years actually. <laughs> I, I like this introduction to him because he is trying to be polite. Like it's like, was it? It was Friends, wasn't it, where they had that episode where like Chandler had been had so, like a colleague who was calling him by the wrong name. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and so like tra- having to trash his own office because yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I feel like it's almost like that. It's like it's been so long. I, he he corrects Rory actually so quietly that he's clearly only making sure that Tim knows who he is. Yeah, like, I've I've been through guy. similar things. Like like when I was when I went to university, there was a guy in the, the tech department who kept calling me Niles for for like a year. And then I think he heard someone else call me Niall. And because I, I never corrected him, because it's like, ah, it's just awkward. And it's like, oh, I like Frasier. So I'm, I'm okay with being called Niles if that's what he wants to call me. And then he heard someone else call me Niall, corrected it. And then like about <laughs> a month later, a different guy from the tech department called me Niles mistakenly again. And I could just see his face looking a bit like, what, what, what? And then he just switched back to Niles for like the rest of the time I was there. <laughs> and I was just like, you know what? That doesn't matter. This is fine. Yeah, call me whatever you want. Like, it's, this is this is water off a duck's back at this point. Like, I'm not going to be beholden to this guy for the rest of my life or anything. So. I remember at one point years ago, uh, I must have been like six or seven or something. And I, it was at my church and I'd started lending a hand on the computers with like the guy at the back who was putting the lyrics of the songs on screen. And I'd been doing it for weeks. And then he went up to the front of the church, and it was like me and my sister, I think, and he was like, I'd like to thank Grace and Zach for helping us out here. And where he got Zach from, I don't know. <laughs> and it's like I'd been with him for days doing it, and he didn't know my blooming name. Uh, in all fairness, in hindsight, I don't know his name or his face. No. I was six. All I know is he got my name wrong. <laughs> is there anything on the visuals at this point? Because I realise I'm just reading them. No, because the movie doesn't really care that they're lawyers. It's just background. Yeah, that's, this is that, that, this that is that basically is the library, is what it seems like, though. Yeah, mm. there, it's got there that are two thing desks is... stuck in there. So uh, once again, because I like I, I do know a guy who has you know he's become studying to be like a barrister and stuff, mm. and just the fact then like the dialogue's just like I was lawyering all, all hours of the day and night. It's like Richard Curtis doesn't give a crap what this guy's job is. He's just like yeah, he's a lawyer and he does some stuff. But, he had you know, a lawyer <laughs> in Bridget Jones as well, though, hasn't he? With Colin Firth, so yeah. like. <laughs> Lawyer seems to be a common enough thing, but I think 
one other thing was it that we discussed on here or was something I hear on the commentary I genuinely can't remember about whether it's just a job that the audience knows instantly mm. like ra- rather than creating yeah. like an office job or something like that like it's it's a job that the audience instantly yeah. understands so it can it just is... the thing is because the one time it's alluded to that he does it's connected to him using his powers is it, it just opens up a whole other friggin like not just a can of worms like a barrel of worms because it's alluded to that like oh yeah things can be going terribly during the case and then he'll nip out and then he'll come back in and everything's great and it's like, so he's clearly gone back and changed the course of what happened. Yeah. And it's just like, well, he better be sure that every single person he represents is innocent because he yeah, can, I think, don't know who, he, who he's representing. I he think they, there was a joke on the, there was a joke on the commentary that a guy, we, the guy we see at the end who they end up proving innocent. Like there was a joke on the commentary that said he does not look like an innocent man. <laughs> it's just they they could have had a whole subplot of that though with him like going back in time to the time of the crime and going to that location and like watching to see if the person's guilty. Yeah, yeah. If Once, this were a TV show, that would be you could have a whole dark. episode about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you could have a whole season on stuff like that. Really, mm. uh, time traveling Rich- cop investigates crimes <laughs> that never happened. Richard Curtis, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> Please get in touch with us. And just... Richard Curtis rebooting Time Cop for TV, only it's secretly yeah. a TV version of About Time. I was like, you ever want to see Donald Gleason do the splits? Because we all have, <laughs> so let's see it happen. The, the, the film does ignore so many of the rules of time travel, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, just, it's one of those things, of like, if you get hung up... It's, it's basically doing what in, in The Spy Who Shagged Me, when, like... Austin and Basil Exposition are doing like, uh, well, that all sounds very complicated. And Basil's just like, it is. I encourage you not to to, to worry too much about it. And then looks at the yeah. camera and goes, and neither should you. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, just 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 enjoy the ride. Don't try to think about how this actually works. Yeah, but I mean, we've seen that Richard Curtis does time travel really well three years earlier with his episode of Doctor Who. Oh yeah, yeah, really yeah. terrific, terrific stuff. Ooh. I, I rewatched that uh, recently. Not actually as part of my Richard Curtis rewatch, but because there was a big um, Doctor Who global rewatch of Vincent and the Doctor, and that still moves me to tears. How wonderfully he does that! Yeah, um, oh, that, that was one of those ones too. I think at the time I saw that, I didn't know. Like I, somehow that slipped through the net in terms of like I didn't know Richard Curtis wrote that when it was coming in. Yeah, I didn't know that until like, recently. That was a really good episode, and then seeing like, oh, it was written by Richard Curtis. Like, oh well. There you go. <laughs> yeah, well, I was six when that came out, so I had no concept of writers whatsoever. But it had always been my favourite episode, or one of them, and then it had become my favourite episode. And then when I started becoming so like interested and obsessed with Richard Curtis, go through everything he's written, it's like, oh, of course he wrote my favourite episode of Doctor Who. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's so nice to know that your tastes are consistent. You mm. know? <laughs> I just do the fact, like, oh, Bill Nye's in it as well. It's like, yeah. It's just one of those things too of just seeing Bill Nye there. It's like don't don't waste him. He could be like he could be Doctor Who down the down the line. Like he'd oh, be Matt great Smith. For that part, but... Matt Smith has said in an interview that he believes that that character is a future incarnation of the Doctor. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Well, I'd support that. That's fair. I love <laughs> I love that look that Bill Nye gives him from the Doctor. I think we should definitely like dedicate part of an episode to discussing that episode mm. of oh, Doctor yeah. Who. But that that look that look he gives after Vincent kisses him. As he walks and he walks off, and Bill Nye just sort of looks at him, confused for a second, and sort of, no, nah, it can't be. But like, there's there's a moment where he genuinely thinks, could this man be Van Gogh? <laughs> 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 
should also say uh, my co-host on that minute, John, his partner, Lol, saw Bill Nye on the tube one day. Uh, apparently standing. No one would even give him a seat. <laughs> like, he was just standing. <laughs> like, with I mean, a Robert, this hook. is what I was saying, isn't it? That Bill Nye is like the one British actor that so many people seem to have met. Like, <laughs> he get, I've heard people like meet him on like three different occasions in completely different parts of the country. Oh, so, okay, maybe he just is the doctor. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm just knocking around. I've met everybody now. If you got Genghis Khan on the show, he'd be like, yeah, I met Bill Nye one time. <laughs> I so hope that they use Bill Nye massively in Doctor Who at some point. And the thing is, they had some... Hugh Grant was going to be the Doctor, but his agent turned it down because they didn't think he'd want to do TV. Ah. When was uh, that? Well, I guess that would have been, like, 05 then. Yeah, that would have been... I think that was, like, the 90s. It was before the Eccleston reboot. Okay. Um, but, for, but around that time, Eric Idle was also down to be the Doctor. Ooh. Like, there's some... Gr- they, Completely different Doctors, but would have been brilliant. And tell you who I'd love to see as the Master. Hugh Laurie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be great, actually. Um, <laughs> and ha- Stephen Fry as the Doctor. It's just like, That's <laughs> what, we're just rolling with it. <laughs> well, we've had Stephen Fry at one point anyway in the episode, didn't we? Yeah, mm. This year? This year? Well, yeah, this year. Well, that's the thing, though. Another guy, one guy they brought back who would have been a good Doctor, but like I thought the show wasted him, like properly wasted him, was Richard E. Grant. Oh, you're like, yeah. You got Richard E. Grant in the show. He's playing like a big villain. And then yeah. it just wasn't that. The scripts they gave him just weren't really up to snuff. I was just like, well, he, he was the doctor in a, in a semi canon thing two years before Eccleston mm. started. Um, I haven't actually seen it and I've forgotten what it's called. Yeah. But yeah, I think, I think it was something like that Richard E. Grant animated Doctor Who thing, which was going to be the way Doctor Who went forward. Unfortunately, it was timed that it came out about a week after they'd announced Eccleston was going to be the Doctor. <laughs> well, not a lot of communication in the BBC, apparently. But but that's the one good thing about the horrible decision that they made in the finale this year. About oh yeah, they get so there's yeah. been like a million Doctors, and like, oh, you yeah. never know who could be. So it means that every single person's fan film is now canon. <laughs> Can be, yeah. I think that's been the last couple. That's been the last decade of Doctor Who, though. It's just breaking the shackles that the show set itself with. Like Stephen Moffat had to think of, like, how do I get out of this whole? He's only got like thirteen lives thing. <laughs> how like, can I kill Rory again? Yeah, <laughs> and then it's like, all right, so I got rid of that, and then now it's just like Chris Chibnall's like, oh, there's still too many limitations. Well, it's just like, yeah, you know what? You don't know where the the Doctor is from, and it, it, there's been like a million lives, and there you go. It's all organic. There's no. I'm yeah. not a fan of the decision, but I see why. It's just. This will be my final comment on Doctor Who before we go back to <laughs> about time. Uh, yeah, it's like, for me, the main thing is just, it might have been because, like, my prime era for Doctor Who was when I was a bit younger, and I know that a lot of people fall out of Doctor Who at my age and then come back into it as, like, an adult. So I don't know whether it's just that. But for me, it's like I feel I feel obliged to watch Doctor Who because I'm a fan and I'm not like excited to watch it anymore. Yeah. I still love Eccleston as my Doctor, even though <laughs> admittedly his series was the year after I was born. But he was the first Doctor I watched when I was about four. I think my dad showed me the DVDs, and Eccleston has been my Doctor. I had the great pleasure of meeting him a year and a half ago or two years ago. Oh, nice! Um, I went to see him play Macbeth, and he's a lovely guy. But yeah, so like I'll watch back Eccleston episodes and Matt Smith episodes and David Tennant episodes and be like, wow, this is really good. And still feel that joy and excitement and the nostalgia. But then anything like Capaldi and Whitaker, it's like, 
the best it's been is fine. <laughs> no, yeah, I totally understand that. It's like it's been yeah, last season there. There was a couple of like, oh, this is good, and then like, and I, I wasn't a fan of the twist at the end of the season either because I just had that kind of thing of like, you just made this character who's like a lot of the appeal of was just like someone who decided I've had enough. I'm part of this hierarchy, and I'm just I was part of, I was a cog in a system, and now I'm off. And now you I made also, them the center of the universe, basically. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not Yeah, the I also see it as disrespect to Hartnell, in a way. Mm. Like, he was the Doctor, the original Doctor, and now he's just one of them. Yeah, just... I'm sure they'll they'll have some workaround where it's like, oh, the first version to call himself the Doctor. Before yeah, that, that's, that's, that's what I'm... <laughs> that's what I'm hearing, that he was the or first that he was one the to nurse. call himself the Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He was pre um, uh, 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 yeah, then there's weird stuff like Joe Martin's Doctor who appeared, you know, briefly and where the whole twist came in in that episode with Captain Jack and the past incarnation of the Doctor that we saw then yeah. who met Jodie. Like, she has the police box TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Hartnell stole the police box TARDIS. So how does she have it if she's not a future yeah. incarnation? That's the thing. It's supposed to be like, oh, it got stuck as a police box with Hartnell. It's like, no, it was a police box before that now, apparently. Like, how did that work out? Even though in it's... Name of the Doctor, Clara goes back in time to Hartnell stealing the top. There's, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's like trying anyway. to figure out the, the, the rules of about time. <laughs> the, the, the convoluted backstory. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm about 12 seconds into minute one on my screen, so we should probably go a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Robert, these episodes are getting longer every week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I started. At like fifteen twenty minutes, we then went to half an hour. It was then forty five minutes. Last week's lot were an hour long. I'm yeah. sensing these are going. And then I saw our next guest was Niall. I'm like, oh, it's going up. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's the thing of Batman. Now I've had to start like because our episodes always run so long. I have to just, like start cutting out like big chunks of them and putting them up as bonus episodes. Or you just so, cover like, it thirty was... seconds at a time. No, that's just more the fact that like always oh, we talked here for like ten minutes about Doctor Who. Just take a yeah. lot. All that out, put it as its own episode, and go like, "There's a bonus thing that's not part of the main episode and stuff." But that's not just, a terrible idea. No, eh, it just became a necessity for us after a while because it was just like we can't ask people to listen to the show episodes that are this long three times a week every <laughs> week for like fifty-two weeks or something. That's how I decide which podcasts to listen to. Sometimes is like, "Who had the shortest episode today?" I'll go with that one first. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, it's it's often different to me. Room minute, I d- I tend to listen to like when I'm. Well, when I was walking to and from school, I guess that's all over now. Uh, GCSE year being cancelled means I'm not back there again. But yeah, that like Room Minute was what I listened to then. But most of the podcasts I listen to, I listen to when I'm trying to go to sleep. Mm. Which I realise when I've said that to podcast hosts, like I know a lot of people listen to podcasts, but I've said to people, oh, I love listening to your podcast to get to sleep. It doesn't sound good. <laughs> yeah. I feel but like I, that's, that's, that's how I got into it the podcast yeah. in the first place was i was just go- was going through like a really stressful time where i was undergoing like a credit check and whatnot it was a really really stressful so i was like uh, every time i tried to go to sleep i was like oh i'm just too freaked out thinking about things so i started putting on i think it was richard herring and josie long had a thing for a while and uh that was after that i was like oh this is an interesting medium uh maybe i should be looking into this in some way mm. but yeah uh, for a while it was listening to music and then once you know the songs inside out you're stuck to I mean, for me, if I had music on shuffle, it would be the excitement as to, oh, I wonder what's next. <laughs> if I had music that was that I knew well, it would be like singing along. Well, not all like mentally singing along, <laughs> if that makes sense. So podcasts seem to be the only thing that works. At the moment, I'm, I keep 
every now and again jumping back and listening to the old Ricky Gervais radio shows because mm. they're just gold to listen to and I know that loads of people listen to them but often I listen to a few other bits and bobs but yeah that's my main chance to listen to podcasts really yeah. um, <laughs> we should really press on with about time though we <laughs> should yeah <laughs> right so I'm gonna I'm gonna read out until we get to the end of this actually we were at the end of this scene really yeah um, there's not really much more to say about the law firm. No. Oh, and this was a shot I was talking about last week, actually, which I think confirms... Oh, no, it's not. We've got another shot here first. And a brilliant shot as well with Tim and Harry. Yeah. And they both drink at the exact same time. Uh-huh. It's wonderful. <laughs> In the commentary, Richard Curtis thought that was an accident, but it turned out that Donal and Tom had just agreed to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I just always like see, seeing Tom uh, Hollander or Hollanday. I'm not too sure what way he prefer it pronounced. I've only ever heard it as Hollander. Hollander, um, yeah. So it just always reminds me of uh, every time I see him, I just think of the thick of it. Because I think he was only in one episode, but he was just like as as there ninety percent of the characters in the thick of it. He was like, oh yeah, he was that tightly coiled sort of. He seemed a bit spaced out and polite, and then it turns out to be really, really angry the whole time. <laughs> But the, there was the description of him was like, oh, he's a story that uh, they tell naughty MPs to make sure they, make, they eat their truffles and swans or something like that. I watched Pride and Prejudice for the first time the other day, and he's in that. And it was just, it was weird because, because of how well I know about time. I wasn't sure as to what impression we were supposed to get of him in Pride and Prejudice or not, because he was automatically Harry to me. Yeah, yeah. He does, there's just something about him, like he does, he, he plays angry asshole very well mm-hmm. so you always do have a kind of slight vibe is this guy gonna blow up he seems like he's gonna blow up any second but like is that right? okay let's just i think we're okay for now but he could go um, any second this reminds me actually i believe it was the guy who played rory that tom hollander said he was um, he was sort of scared of because he heard he read a review for that guy in a play and he was described as like a young tom hollander <laughs> and he said it makes you become really aware of your mortality when you see someone described as like a young you. So basically every time he saw that guy, he just thought of death. Um, I'm pretty sure it was the guy who played Rory. I could be wrong, but it wouldn't be the guy who played Jay. So it must be him. He mentioned a name and I've forgotten the name of the actors. Anyway, I'll Google that later and verify it in post-production if I need to. So he says, so six lonely months all went by and it was still just me and Harry. Me lawyering every hour of the day and night and him putting the finished touches to his new play. No matter how many girls there were in the world, I always seem to end up with Rory. Mm. And there are some lovely shots at this point. Like yeah, Harry when we got sprawled him. out. <laughs> yeah, and even when he says him lawyering and it's just him going over and reaching what looks like it could be homemade, to be honest. Which yeah, it's, it looks like it's the same. It's that kitchen. So it's that even that he's... But yeah, that he's spent more time baking and cooking more than... The way he grabbed it, I figured it was Harry's and he stole it. Mm. Yeah, oh, I think so. Because oh, he yeah, like grabs it, looks over at Harry, and then walks away. Yeah, I think it's yeah, it's, it's, it's probably to indicate like he doesn't have time to make his own toast. He just has to like well, that's there. He's conked out. All right, I'm taking it. <laughs> See ya. But it's the following shot here with all the girls, which I think almost proves the point that I had about it being Tim's how, how you know Tim's mind and him telling story, the story. Yeah. Otherwise, this is quite an out of place shot, really, because that's sort of so fantasy based almost. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And you I know, mean, we talked before about how, like, Margot Robbie 
is in the film. Yeah. And how she is just there as the attractive girl, basically, and there's no personality to her, and how that's just how he remembers her. You yeah. Know? <laughs> you, you know what occurs to me now with your, your, like, this is Tim telling the story. Harry has books on his shelves with the spines hidden again, just like the father does. And I'm like, maybe that's just because Tim can't remember what kind of books Harry had. Mm. You know? So they visually, they're just like, there were books. We don't yeah, know what. Yeah. Or maybe it's because it would cost more money to, <laughs> to show the books. Well, or they, they had the wrong kind of books. And so like, just turn them around. It won't matter. <laughs> I think it was later on, I think, in Bill Nye's study. There's a very clear copy of, I, I, well, it seemed to me, it looked like Lord of the Rings. Because I was like, oh, I think that's the same copy Possibly, of Lord yeah. of the Rings I have. But I was just like, I'll be the only one Tim remembers. Like, I remember reading Lord of the Rings when I was a kid. <laughs> I don't know what other books he had, but that was the one I read all the time. That, that would work, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's little shots of Dickens and stuff, because we know Dickens. So it would make sense for some of them to be there and some of them not, yeah. Mm. So then we've got, until, out of the blue, on a dodgy night out with Dodgy Jay, something miraculous happened. I mean, this is, we just got the shot of them walking, I guess, which I realise is taking a lot longer than I thought it was when I'm playing it back. And you're so it's far a wonderful ahead. Shot. Am I? Well, you're like jumping into the restaurant already. <laughs> Only because I've realized how much time we spent already. I know. That I'm trying to... Well, I, I just wanted to point out that on the stairs, when there's like just girls and Tim, Tim does say, how you doing to one of them? And she's kind of cute with like glasses and everything. She just looks at him and keeps walking. <laughs> and then Roy shows up. Thing is, though, because you're saying like, oh, this movie is totally a fairy tale kind of thing. There are several things throughout it that are like, oh, same man like i've been there <laughs> like they really they really actually do hit close up to home and like this shot of him like waving to loads of people and then just having his one dweeby friend come up and be like yeah it's just you and me again <laughs> like this is like yeah that's 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 what life was like for me at that age too it's just like, <laughs> it's like a lot you know just having no way to break into the sea of beautiful women that are around you and then just like yeah, this dork I hang around with, he's he's just my only friend that i've got here at the minute so two of us again <laughs> so how's it going man then we have him moving into the restaurant when we've got the li- him describing it with the waiters are, wait for this, right? They're blind. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I'm kidding you not. No, as bats, as bats. And, I mean, what, one thing which I was discussing this, this whole thing earlier with my mum, actually, because she knows this film quite well, and I was saying, oh, what minutes we're doing today? And, like, she didn't even know that these restaurants actually exist. Like, yeah. It's, it is quite a... And I guess that's even there through Tim. You know, he lives in London. He doesn't know that these are things, but they are, you know. Well, the one they go to isn't the real one, but yeah, there is a real one in London. But there is, yeah. Mm. I know my friend Marion has been to one, not in London, in Zurich. She went to a dark dining restaurant. And uh, I was just like, I just asked her last night. I was like, oh, so, because she's seen About Time as well. I was like, oh, well, was it like that? And she's like, it's actually, this is actually very, very accurate to what it is. It's just (laughs) like. I was thinking, like, oh, you know, they wouldn't go through the theatricality of having blind waiters and stuff like that. And she's like, yeah, in Zurich, they did. It was all blind waiters. And it was like, yeah, you were literally plopped down. They just asked you, what are you allergic to? What don't you like, basically? Yeah. And then it was just like, you're going to be presented a mystery meal. And then It makes perfect sense for them to be blind waiters, though, really, because they'll, they've got the better spatial awareness, really. Oh, 100%, yeah. Yes, it's the only sort of weird restaurants that I hear people talk about is I know a good few people who go to, like, cat cafes and things. Yeah. Um, I haven't done cat cafes, mostly because it's like those sorts of places where you already have to pay, like, five, ten pounds to get in before you order anything, and that kind of mm. turns me off from the whole thing, really. 
Because yeah. I, I mean, I'm the kind of guy who go out to like McDonald's or to a cafe or whatever for my friends, and I'm the guy who'd order the tap water. <laughs> I'm, I'm a cheapskate, and it's like, well, I, you legally have to have tap water for free, so I will turn up, enjoy the facilities, but also not pay a penny. Um, <laughs> I've gone on school trips where everyone's bought meals and gone to McDonald's and stuff, and I've sat there with my pat lunch. <laughs> I, um, if I don't see the point. In no. spending so much money when I can do it cheaper. <laughs> I think the the one we have closest to us in Liverpool, that like in the, on the street, there's tons of different kind of weird restaurants throughout the city. But there's one quite nearby. That's one of those cereal cafes. That's just like yeah. yes, all it serves is cereal. I and, think there's one in Birmingham as well. Yeah, I've been to one of those. I remember, it's pretty good. I remember when they 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 hit. It was a big controversy because people were like, well, "What the hell is this crap? This is this hipstery doofus stuff is getting too much." <laughs> and then. Uh, like, I was always like, oh, I'll do whatever you want. But I actually w- finally went to this one just to see what it was like. And it's, it was actually pretty good, Like considering mm-hmm. you did have to pay a bit extra. But it was all like weird imported cereals, so it was things you just wouldn't get here normally. The only downside was to it, I think I ordered like a medium bowl. And there was so much sugar packed into it that I felt I was going to die afterwards. And, <laughs> and that I was just... like a medium bowl. It's like, well, imagine you get the big one. Jesus Christ, you'd just be diabetic within two seconds. I just want to say to our listeners, you guys obviously feel free to carry on with a conversation that I'll look forward to listening to and editing. Um, (laughs) Being in the UK, we're all leaving our houses and clapping the NHS at the moment. Uh, Well, in two minutes. So I'm going to leave and be back in about five minutes. Okay, while you're gone, I'm going to complain about London. (laughs) Sure. I can agree with probably most of your London complaints. No, it's... It's it's, it's actually about the movie location because I have no idea where they filmed the street, like not the front of the restaurant, the scene, the shot before that. Mm. I think it's in Soho because you can read a Fernandez and Wells sign, which is like this cafe that has multiple locations. This is none of its locations. Right, I'll be back in a bit anyway. Right. <laughs> like that it's ever had. And I'm like, why is that sign there? Uh, it's like weird product placement or something. That's the thing though, because as famous as London is and stuff. A lot of these scenes are just like oh, this is any other street. Like I've yeah. seen, I've been on English streets. Like it's just like, like all of them. A couple minutes ago, when Tim arrives in London, he arrives at Paddington Station, goes to Abbey Road, which is out of the way, and then over yeah. to Harry's apartment, which we see the address. So mm. those three locations are not near each other. Paddington <laughs> might be the nearest tube station, I think, but it's not close. Yeah. It's like, oh, I got off the train and like, had to travel. Like, so he four went. Hours he went to, to Sightsee get... Abbey Road before dropping off his backpack in his suitcase. I'm like, that's silly. He's <laughs> just like, well, you know, the uh, Tower of London was right next to it as well. It's uh, like, as, we're as was the talking Eiffel about Tower, weirdly enough. <laughs> yeah, like we were talking about Paris earlier. Every Paris movie. Oh, there's Eiffel. There's Eiffel Tower. It's yeah, right there. Yeah. I mean, you can't see it from a lot of the city. It's tall, but you can't see it from everywhere. No. Like Here's New a... York. Same uh, problem. Well, switching almost to a different location, Robert, because I thought you of most people are probably the only other person I know would be quite liable to have seen this film. But the the whole scene we're about to watch with the the dark dining restaurant. Yeah. I I watched this movie and I think maybe like a couple of weeks before I'd watched When in Rome with uh, Kristen Bell. And Mm, uh, yeah, yeah, the exact same thing isn't it i was baffled like it was it, to see them in such quick succession because i guess it was just a trendy thing at the time 
Yeah, the restaurants had probably just come into existence or enough time that people knew what it was. Yeah, but it might have been literally like a week apart when I was just like watching about <laughs> time and then saw when in Rome. I was like, wait a minute. Wait, what the hell? Uh, only I did note in that they cheated because they had the, wait- the waitress is Kristen Schaal and she's got like a night vision goggles on the whole time. Because <laughs> I guess they thought it'd be, oh, it'd be look funny because she's, you know, put a night vision goggles on her and stuff. And this is one, one of those movies is just like that, waste that of would a actually cast, be. But- a funny thing to do at one of these restaurants, though, is to have night vision goggles and see what are people doing in the dark. I think that maybe that might be almost like a legal precedent that makes sure that the waiters are blind because it's like well, yeah, people are yeah. in there and they think they can't be seen, and we actually have people who totally can see them. <laughs> that would be you it's wouldn't like, feel are, safe. What are, are, are these people just fondling each other under the table because they know no one can see it or on top of the yeah. table? <laughs> Although no the, one cares. In this movie, though, they seem to posit like. Like we're we're almost springing ahead now, but like that these guys have been kind of plopped down at a random table with random yeah. people. I did have to ask my ask my friend Marion, who went to one in Zurich. I was like, did did that happen? Is that part of the experience? And she's like, no, no, we sat down by ourselves. There was no they didn't force you on other people or anything like that. But I wouldn't be surprised if that was supposed to be part of the experience. It was like, yes, you get placed next to random people, yeah. and not only can you not see what you're eating or your environment, you also don't even know who's there with you and stuff. But that would that would be the thing that would, that would be the straw that would break my camel's back though. I'd just be like, nah, I don't want to sit and talk to. And like, don't even sit you with the person you came with. You know, yeah, opposite sides of the room. It just seems like yeah, you have to be primed to be like, you could you could be sat talking to some complete prick the entire time. <laughs> you don't know who who you're gonna get stuck with. <laughs> you're like, yeah, I'm done. I'm gonna I'm gonna go. Yeah, <laughs> this guy's awful. That's what always seems horrible about. From what I understand from watching like American movies and stuff, going to university and they just seem to have roommates i think yeah. you make you share a room with someone well you you put preferences down on like a dorm request sheets like stuff you can do like stuff you like and stuff you can't handle and you can be very specific but it makes it harder for them to match you up with someone over here it's just like now you got your own room like you've been shared accommodation you'll share a living room but you have like your own private mm, space and yeah. stuff That'd be the kind of thing, like, if I was in America, that would put me off going to university. Because, like, I don't want to spend a year, like, sharing an actual room with someone. That'd be a nightmare. Yeah. If you didn't get along and you're just stuck, ugh. I think it's just, too, because I'm just very, I just, I do, I do like my solitude. So, <laughs> I'd be like, well, so you never, you, unless they're out, you're never going to be alone ever. That's, what a, what a horrible experience that would be. <laughs> To have literally someone like, oh, someone's, when you wake up in the morning, they're going to be right there with you and stuff. It's like, oh, it's just, oh, mortifying. Hello. So then Luke goes on this horrible rant about Richard, oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm intrigued to hear the whole whole (laughs) five minutes that I've missed. It'll be a nice surprise. We've we've finished talking about the, we've done all the minutes, Luke. We 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 covered the rest of it while you were gone. (laughs) Did did any of you actually hear anything from my mic? Was there any cheering in the background? No, no, no. Intrigued. no. not until you came back. It was pretty loud in the street, but I'm glad that the copyrighted music they were blasting has not made its way through the mic. No, if it's good. incidental, it's fine. Yeah, and if I it's guess. one of my shows, I don't care. There's not really too much left to say of 21, is there? Because we've been here for an hour. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say I love Carlo the Waiter's shirt because it's got Braille dots on the back. It's got a guide to Braille, which is nice. But on the front, it's got Braille dots and then words, and it just says "There is no butt." <laughs> okay that was the, uh, yeah, that's the line shit. from the porn version of the matrix that actually <laughs> <laughs> there is no button 
22. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so the concluding minute of 21. Very good to have you here, gentlemen. Hope you enjoy your experience. Carlo will show you to your table. 22 goes straight on with great lead on, maestro. I need to load up 22 to know what I'm talking about. Uh, that helps sometimes. It won't help in a few uh, seconds. It's dark anyway. Yeah. <laughs> good point. And obviously he touches the shoulder and he goes on. There's not really much further to say about this. I'd be well, intrigued. It's, it's funny that Jay is really eager and Tim is like looking back at the Mater D all worried. Like he does not want to go downstairs with some blind guy. Mm. He's yeah, not fair into enough. this. Well, Jay's supposedly done this before, right? He definitely is, knows what it is and is excited for it. I don't know if, he, yeah. if they say he's done it before. There's some indications too of like if Jay wants to go back to it. It just makes me wonder what was he up to the first time. He seems like he seems an untrustworthy sort. Like they already, they already call him <laughs> oh, Dodgy. He, he called him Dodgy. <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't know. I don't like the I don't like this guy, man. <laughs> That's I think you're just giving him license by letting, <laughs> allowing him to lounge in a dark room with mystery people <laughs> for hours. So one time. thing is, I I wonder whether these actors are actually blind. Is one of my questions and thoughts. IMDb um, doesn't have a credit for Carlos, so I didn't. I don't know who he yeah. is. It's a shame. Uh, the... Richard Curtis, if you're listening, please tell us who plays Carlo and whether he's blind mm-hmm. and whether he'll come on the show. I do know um, the guy who did the Mater D apparently was the voice of Vernon Roche in the Witcher series. So I'm sure that might mean a lot. Some, I, I'm not a big the video myself. Game. Yeah. But yeah, they apparently they, they, Vernon Roche is a big character in the Witcher video game series. And that guy does his voice. So that might mean something to somebody. And I also saw that apparently he was in Honest. Which is a movie I've completely forgot about, but like the mid '90s pop sensation All Saints made a movie at one point in the early 2000s called Honest that was a dreadful bomb. Like absolutely. we learned last week that my knowledge of '90s pop <laughs> is <Yeah>. not good. <laughs> I have a problem. As I did not recognize a picture of Britney Spears from as to who it was. Really? Yeah. Holy moly! Yeah. Well, I guess they—you know, it is just generational things. It's just like to me, it'd be like, oh yeah, All Saints and Britney Spears in the '90s would have been like, of course I know. Like, you freaking the recite only... you their their yeah. discography backwards. But the I guess now, like, why, why would you care? To. The only concert I've ever been to is the Cause. So, like, I know '90s music. <laughs> I just supposedly <laughs> do not know what Britney Spears looks like. But um, but yeah, I was just excited to see. Like, oh, I forgot completely about Honest because it was like one of those things that was like really built up because everyone loved All Saints. This is like this is gonna be the new Spice World, and then it just came out and everyone was like, "Oop, never mind," and just quickly forgot about its existence until you today. Say All so. You say All Saints, I think of a church that's near me, not <laughs> but yeah, Robert. What were you? What was your? Uh, well, I, I I googled while you were talking um, about time Carlo, just to see if I could find out who he is. And that was a mistake, because what I found is an Italian physicist named Carlo Rovelli, where the quote from him is, time travel is just what we do every day. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to get into that right now. Uh, it's <laughs> a physicist talking about time travel. That's like one of those really nitpicky, like, kind of statements to make to Like, well, technically, we're always traveling through time. It's like, oh, well, yeah, uh, Obviously, we're all traveling through time at any given minute. But come on, it's like it's when like you go onto like a like a Star Wars page and you're just like, "Oh, I saw this thing in a Star Wars book." Like this is this is a really like quite recently I was reading Shadows of the Empire hmm. and at one point Rogue Two says in it, "Oh, I'm gonna like, don't worry, guys, I'll put the kettle on for tea when you get back." And I was like, "That's the least Star Warsy thing I've ever read in a Star Wars book." I put this up on a Star Wars page, and they're like, <laughs> most people got into it, and they're like, oh, coming up with other weird things that are said in books. 
And then some guy just had to be there going, well, technically, if it's in a Star Wars book, that makes it Star Warsy. So all of these phrases are <laughs> because they're in a Star Wars book. And it's like, yeah, all right, you pedantic. <laughs> yeah, I know. Technically, that's true. But that's not what I'm trying to talk about here. So, Well, I think, Robert, we can call back onto that quote you found when we get to the end of About Time, where Tim says, yeah. we're traveling through time together every day of our lives. Mm. Um, uh, which... We'll definitely have a lot to say when that comes up, because that is just a beautiful moment. Anyway, he says, uh, can I have your right hand on my right shoulder, please? And your friend, hold on to your shoulder. Thank you. Mind the stairs and be prepared, because it's completely dark. Apparently they had a lot of difficulty, because uh, Richard Curtis actually wanted to film in the dark. And he learned that a cameraman's dark is not everyone else's dark. Right. And so I think a lot of this was recorded live, and then... Some bits were ADR'd, some bits they actually just recorded in a studio with like them all there. But apparently when they went to actually record it in the restaurant, someone did touch Rachel McAdam's arm and she asked whether it was Donal. So they decided to keep that nice. whole thing Ooh. in, uh, which incidentally is probably a thing I should have mentioned when we got to that point in the film. And what little okay. visual we do get was recorded not with them at all. Of like, because we do that. see things move a little bit. Most yeah. of it, we can't tell what it is until he pokes her in the eye. We can see that. Mm. Can we? Well, we can see him like you could see like light off a fork, like he's reaching across, and then it pulls back quickly. It we is can't great, see them. Just those little, yeah, those little flickers of light do feel, yeah, as though so because it could so easily have just been a black screen for a bit. So mm-hmm. it's nice that they've done these. There's little bits of movement. Yeah. When Joanna hits the table, one of the lights disappears after that point. I'm like, what did she hit? <laughs> <laughs> then he says, okay, gentlemen, if you don't mind, have to sit you here beside these two young ladies. No, no, sounds absolutely perfect. Oh, you sound very perky. I am, and very handsome. <laughs> oh, someone's there. I'm Jay. Hi. Hi, I'm Mary. And obviously this is the introduction of yeah. Mary. So, what do we all know Rachel McAdams from, is the next question. Being such a main character, who who was, before watching this film, was Rachel McAdams anyone to you? Oh, well, not to me. Yeah. Yeah. She was like a... I don't think Rachel McAdams ever reached the kind of stratospheric stardom that she was kind of been built up for. Because she's obviously a very well-known actress, but like, after Mean Girls... She was like really. There was a lot of talk. She was always rumored to be in everything, and then it's. Kind I of think Amanda Seyfried was the unexpected person who kind of beat her from Mean Girls. Really, yeah. It's just it was just weird though because I remember like much like you know there was a period of time when Johnny Depp was really really hot. Yeah, and every film that was coming up, every major pro- every major blockbuster that was getting on his haunches and getting ready to go, Johnny Depp was always rumored to be in it. And for a while, it was the same with Rachel McAdams, like. I always distinctly remember after Batman Begins came out, and there were people didn't like Katie Holmes in it. So like, well, she doesn't she doesn't seem like a lawyer. She just seems like a teenage girl. She doesn't shoot the part and stuff. There's always talk of her getting replaced, and of course, eventually they replaced her with Maggie Gyllenhaal. But for like the longest time, it was all people were always talking about Rachel McAdams for it, and she was, like, <laughs> everything was getting popped up when they were when they were building the Marvel universe and stuff. It was like, who would you cast as Black Widow? Rachel McAdams. Who would you cast as? You know, Susan Storm, Rachel McAdams, always, her name was always brought up in things. And yet she always sort of, she never quite got there. She was always like, she's known, she's in stuff. But I never, I, I think she should be like at Scarlett Johansson level, where she's just yeah. at like Rachel McAdams level, where it's like, oh, yeah. but I know her, but she's usually just like 
the love interest in a lot of yeah, but maybe that's nice. Maybe it sort of makes her feel more down to earth. Yeah, like uh, for me, this is probably weird because I only saw this film a couple of years ago. But for me, there wasn't. I think I must have. I might have seen Mean Girls before this. I'm not sure. She didn't really mean much to me at that point. And even when I went back and watched Mean Girls, it took me a while to even twig it was her because she's so different. I mean, I knew of stuff like The Notebook, but whether I knew it was her, incidentally, I still haven't seen The Notebook. It's literally right next to my DVD player. <laughs> I've been meaning to watch it at some point, and then this whole Richard Curtis marathon I'm doing seems to have gotten in the way a bit. And I'm watching them all out of order. I don't know why. I think it's because I started watching random Richard Curtis films, and it just became, I guess I'll watch all of them in a really strange order. <laughs> so all I've got left now is Love Actually and Yesterday, and then I'm done. Well, there's a couple of his films I don't own, but I'll order mm. them online at some point. Anyway. Again, uh, again, if you're looking for it, because I know it is difficult to get, uh, The Tall Guy is on I've YouTube. I've got The Tall Guy. Oh, okay. So I was looking for it the other day, because I'm actually going, <laughs> in researching Richard Curtis, I'm going on a different show next week to talk about Jeff Goldblum, the Jeff Goldblum movie. Ah. And I was like, oh, that's right, he made a movie with Richard Curtis. And I was like, oh, you can't get it anywhere. And then finally, I'm like, oh, it's all on YouTube. It's just all there. It's <laughs> one big long movie. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I saw it was on YouTube, but uh, like... I'm the kind of guy who saw it was on YouTube and still didn't watch it till I bought the DVD. Like, it was just a, it's like I just I prefer knowing that it's 100% legal. Yeah, <laughs> well, fair enough. That's another thing. Even even prior though to Mean Girls, because living in Ireland, Irish TV is just resplendent with like whatever whatever crap the US or Canada makes, we'll air. Like there's a ship over whatever. Like it was every one season wonder that just never had any kind of legs was giving a given a prime time spot on Irish TV at some point. So like Slings and Arrows was a thing she made like way early in her career. And so I knew her from that, like, like <laughs> way back in the early 2000s. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's like the girl from, you know, when she showed up Mean Girls, I was like, oh, that's the girl from Slings and Arrows. That's it's such a different part that she's playing. So you name the different place you've been in. You've got like the most incredible blend of accents. It's, brilliant. it's well, really interesting. Oh, this, the, the people who listen to Batman will know like this is not my real voice. This is my podcasting voice, because <laughs> I learned the hard way from moving to England at 18 for university. First couple of months, no one could understand what I was saying, so I had to adopt an accent, basically. The thing is, I've got, yeah, I've got Irish relatives, and so it's kind of weird. Like, my dad's not Irish, but if he's around Irish people, or just random points in conversation, his accent will just suddenly turn Irish. Mm. Often when he's speaking passionately about something, his accent just switches, and I don't know why. <laughs> It happens to me now. I don't even think about it. Like I was recording like a couple of weeks back, and my brother, who I haven't seen in a long time, he was staying in the house as well. And he walked past the door, and he's like, "What the hell was that voice you were doing?" And I was like, "What voice?" He's <laughs> like, "Look, you were talking in a weird accent." And I'm like, "Oh no, that's just yeah, it's the podcasting voice. That's, I've been doing that for years now." But yeah, it's just it, my my current accent is nondescript at this point. But it's just <laughs> to try to make myself more understandable because. A lot of people used to say they couldn't understand what I was saying. So since there's not much to comment on on visuals, I'm just going to read the rest of this minute transcript. Well, there, there is one visual. We get a time code. We know what time it is. Time code. Yes, of course. It's uh, at 7.48 when they sit down. So, yeah, so we've got... Uh, hi, I'm Mary. I'm Tim. Mary's my mother's name, actually. I love how relevant that becomes later on. And it feels so much more real to have two people of the same name in the film. Yeah, yeah. Like, because some people avoid it. And I mean, even Richard Curtis has talked about confusing names. Like, in some of his stuff before. Like, one of his top pieces of advice while he was, like, doing a seminar about screenwriting that I was listening to on YouTube. was He, he was saying, like, 
give your boys boys' names and give your girls girls' names. You said it gets so confusing otherwise. So I guess with Mary, it's kind of similar. So I guess why she's credited as mum. Because he says, like, when you've got a wife called Alex and a, and a husband called Valerie, it gets very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> I should say, the in kind of in line with this, uh, my friend, actually my friend Marion, who uh, went to the dark dining experience in, in Zurich, uh, her husband's mum's name is Marion, mm. and his dad's name is oh no his like her husband's name is Dave, and then her mum her her dad's name is Dave, so he's named after her dad, and his mum has the same name as oh, her mum and stuff. That's incredible. <laughs> Normally in a screenplay, Mary and Mary's not that wouldn't happen, but you wouldn't even have like a Jay and a Joanna mm. in the same scene. Yeah. You make things start with different letters. You make them have different amount of syllables, so that it's really clear which one's which. <laughs> Unless you go I'm... into friggin' David Lynch land, where it's like Twin Peaks, and it's like there's a Mike and a Bobby, and then at one point Agent Cooper is like, "I've had a vision. The killer's name is Bob, and he has a friend called Mike." It's like, "Oh, so it's Mike and Bobby." Like, no, it's a different <laughs> Bob and a different Mike, and it's just left at that. You're just like, "Oh, those two men are above the suspicion now." It just happens to be another Bob and another Mike and the same damn show within the first three episodes. I've realized more and more how bad I am at coming up with names when I'm writing stuff. Because I get so scared that if it's the name of anyone I've met once, that they're <laughs> going to think I've based it on them. So the main character in my first short film, The 16th Minute, Jeffrey Summers, I was between watching through Community and Buffy, so it was Jeff from Community and then Summers hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it works. That, that, I think that's my go-to now. It's like name it after a series of other characters from other shows, and you know, hope for the best. <laughs> I've done a couple of times recently where I have given someone the name of someone I know, but I've tried to make sure that they're as far from that character as possible. Mm. I also had an incident with a script I was writing recently, where I wanted a part for myself to play, and I thought, you know what, I can't bother to come up with a name. I'll just name it after myself. But then there was this whole like love interest subplot and suddenly people were reading it and it looked like I was trying to fulfill some sort of weird fantasy because it was me <laughs> playing me and then I was like you know what if I just change my character's name in the script it's going to be so much easier because then I suddenly realised yeah like if I'm casting for the actress to play my love interest and then say like series two because it's a series I'm writing series two or later in the series they end up getting together it would just be awkward for the actress for me to be like writer director and actor it'd be like a tommy wiseau situation really wouldn't yeah. it? <laughs> well, yeah actually, so to... in, in speaking of that though considering it's it within the same minute isn't when uh when he responds with like oh, oh you know she's quite sturdy so maybe bernard would bernard have been because that's, that's yeah that is that's a richard curtis trope richard curtis thing yeah bernard yeah. is there a website list i was gonna talk about that is there is there a list online of all the richard curtis bernards there must be i don't know i should have checked because I've been trying to keep a watch out for them, and some of them are really hard to spot. Well, mm. I just I remember again. I remember it been a big thing that was on uh, way back in the early nineties. Because they had Bernard and the Genie, which is the Alan Cumming Lenny Henry. That's the one mm. I haven't seen. That's so hard to get hold of. Oh, that's the kind of thing I would have assumed was on YouTube as well. <laughs> I'd give that Maybe, a look. Maybe I have. I I hardly look on YouTube. Uh, I probably should. 
But that was that was like yeah. a Christmas TV event when that came out, as I recall. Like it was a big kind of like, oh, Richard, there's a new special from the writers of Blackadder and whatnot. That's they've made a thing and it's got a budget and stuff and it's got Lenny Henry in it. And... Um, so he was based on the the name Bernard is based on Tory MP Bernard Jenkin, who uh, stole a girlfriend from Richard Curtis when he was in uni, and so mostly negative characters he calls Bernard. Ah, that's the thing. The, the, the Bernard in Four Weddings. Would you call him? Negative. It's, uh, it's DC Grimm from The Thin Blue Line. It was David Place, I think you called the actor. But I thought he was always... Although I can't remember the end. Maybe He was alright. Yeah. yeah, I watched it before. It wasn't terrible. I, I think one of the first uses of Bernard's got to be in Blackadder for Nursey. Oh, yeah. The best guys where it's just like, oh, your actual name's Bernard. And it's just... Only shows like Blackadder can get away with that level of stupidity. I can't think of a Bernard in Vicar Diddley. Mm. I know he said that there was pretty much a Bernard in every film, except yesterday, because like I think one of the producers or the beef... The line producer Bernard. was Bernard line Bellows, producer. yeah. Someone, I don't know if this is accurate, but someone says in The Vicar of Dibley, when Alice has like ten children, someone says the last five are called Bernard. That might be true. Yeah, that makes sense. I, that was a weird episode, to be honest, <laughs> where she had ten children. It was towards the latter run of the show, wasn't it? I think. Mm. I'm sort of partially semi-watching through Vicar Dibley at the moment, but most of it, it's mostly one of those things where it's like, if our family have got nothing else to watch on the evening, it, we're just slowly working through it on Netflix. Yeah. Um, I'd love to know, like, Robert, if you can get hold of Vicar Dibley at some point as to like what it's like in the States, because it's, <laughs> it's so British. Yeah, it's always intensely English countryside kind of thing. <laughs> like... <laughs> It's up Same there with, with, like, Only Fools and Horses. It's like, would this translate over in the States? Like, it's just... Yeah, a, my experience, British shows either work really well for me, or I'm like, really I well. need to turn this off. <laughs> At, like, it's immediate. I can tell when I start. So I'll I'll see if I can try, and I don't know if the thing I can watch it on is free or not, but I'll try an episode and see what happens. I think, yeah, one, one of the things, which is one of the funniest things on British TV... I know that some Americans like it, but I think it would flop so much in America because I know they tried an American remake. Is Gavin and Stacey? Yeah, like it is. It's so funny because of how like every British person knows these types of people, <laughs> but it's so British that I think I don't think the humor would translate to the states at all. It's great, and it's well, it's English and Welsh, Gavin and Stacey, and it's brilliant in both. <laughs> I don't know if you know anything about Gavin and Stacey other than like being James Corden, really, do you? <laughs> I think I've seen an episode, but it was like one episode. And I don't remember if that was because I didn't like it or because it was on some weird channel. I don't remember. Okay, fair enough. As I said, I don't, I don't know how it was received in the States, but I imagine not that good. I don't know. It's just exaggerated versions of people that everyone knows. So let's, let's just skim through the rest of this uh, <laughs> minute because how long are we... Oh, flipping heck. (laughs) Oh, does it suit her? Sort of. Although she's sturdy, so Bernard might be a better fit. Okay. Oh, someone just touched my elbow. Okay, that wasn't me. No, well, that just makes it worse. It wasn't you. Who was it? It wasn't me because I'm touching something else. Yes, and you'll stop that right away. Thank you. (laughs) Joanna is such a character we see so little of, but she's... A really good character. Mm. That's when she hits the table too, and the the little yeah. light bit of light in the middle disappears. <laughs> so something moved. Um, 
I'm just becoming more and more aware of this that I might just go straight up to overall thoughts. Yeah. What are your overall thoughts on this minute? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's better. The black, the dark scene is better in the next minute because they actually start having bits of conversation. Yeah. But I, I love it this It shocks setup. me how much time this actually takes place over because it doesn't feel like you're watching it for ages, the whole dark scene like in, in the film. But when actually you look at it and it's like three minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it doesn't feel like that at all. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd imagine if you're fast forwarding through the film for some odd reason, it'd be a really weird. Yeah, the screen goes just... dark. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. Did I... I must have told you this when we do the Monty Python thing. Goodness knows why it reminds me because it's only such a brief comment. There's a, on Monty Python's Meaning of Life, on one of the DVDs, there's the commentary for The Lonely, and it's just Michael Palin talking to himself, like, in character over the whole thing every now and again, and just <laughs> making occasional comments and noises. And at one point he just goes, huh, I wonder what this would be like with no sound on, and just mutes it for about 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's just great. Like, I, I can't believe I watched the entire film with Michael Palin talking over it every now and again. But it's It's brilliant. And I think at the end there's some like police cars turn up and arrest him for something, but it's like just right at the end. It's it's brilliant, and I think it's such an underrated gem. Uh, so I recommend that. Uh, but that, how did I get from? Goodness, I, I I guess my mind was going. I wonder what this would be like with no visuals, and then <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. My brain's a very confusing thing. Um, so unless there's any other final bits, no. uh, Niall. Where can our listeners find you on social media? Oh, uh, you can find me on social media. Uh, well, I'm, you know, more easily to contact uh, through the show, Batminute, because uh, I'm not on Twitter myself. We do have a Twitter for Batminute. Uh, you can get me through there. Or I'm just on Facebook. Uh, we have the Batminute Listener's Cave. And uh, I'm just there as Niall McGowan. Uh, if you should want to add me for any reason, <laughs> I don't know why you would. But if you want to talk about Batman, the Batminute Listener's Cave, that's where... You can talk about that and anything adjacent to it. So by all means, come roll on over and join whenever you want. And Robert, where can the listeners find you? Robert E.G. Black on social media or my website, lemmingdrops.com. Listeners can find me on my weird Twitter at of atlama underscore bottle zero. On Instagram at the ginger Luke. All of my content, short films, podcasts, radio appearances, newspaper articles, all of that are all there at lukeallen.co.uk. I'm on Facebook, which I always forget to mention, at Luke Allen Film. And this podcast is available on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Two Mins About Time. Thank you so much for listening to this probably incredibly long episode. Um, <laughs> we will be doing a 24-hour special by the end of the series, I'm sure. And uh, we'll uh, hope you tune in on Wednesday if you finish listening to this in time. Bye. <laughs> oh, I forgot to have my British goodbye. Um, anyone know any good slang? Well, goodbye. Bye is one also. Bye is one. You use that one. I haven't used bye. The Two Minutes About Time theme is performed by Ethan O'Mahony and is a cover of the About Time theme originally composed by Nick Laird Close. Two Minutes About Time is a production of Lemming Drop Studios in association with Bottle O Productions. <laughs>